We want to welcome you to episode four of the Exploring Scripture podcast. I'm Dwayne McCurry, your host, and I'm joined by Mike Livingston. Mike and I both work at Lifeway on the Explore the Bible team, and we've read all kinds of letters and emails. And questions included in some of those letters and emails serve as the backdrop for this podcast. So our goal is to discuss principles for rightly understanding the Bible and the variety of literary genres found in Scripture. In fact, that's going to be our focus today is on literary genres. So, Mike, let's start off with the idea of what do we mean when we say a Bible genre? Well, genre, genre refers to a specific type or category of literature. So two books of the same genre are going to share similar characteristics, a particular style or form or content or something like that. You know, when you walk, when you walk into a bookstore or, um, or a library, you know, the books are grouped in a particular way. A library doesn't arrange books by color or size, you know, they, you, they arrange them by genre. And that's how they categorize. So you've got the fiction over here and you've got nonfiction, you've got poetry, you've got subcategories like science fiction and history and biography. Yeah, that's, that's what we mean by genre. And, and we encounter that every day, um, we, genre. I get in the mail almost weekly advertisements like you've been pre-approved for a credit card or, or whatever. I read that very differently than I would read a letter from the IRS which I would read very differently than a letter from a family member or, or an old friend, which I'm gonna read very differently than I would an instruction manual. So genre determines to some degree how we approach um, something and how we read it and the questions we ask. Um, if I pick up a novel, I understand that the purpose of that novel is, is probably not to communicate historical facts. If I, but if I read a book uh, about American history, I, you know, I'm, I'm expecting something different from that. The purpose is to communicate or interpret historical facts. So just like we don't read a novel like we read American history or poetry, we don't read Psalms the same way we, we read Romans. You know, we, we've talked in previous episodes about context, how important context is, literary context. Look at the verses before and after or historical and cultural context. Well, genre the kind of literature you're dealing with is just another aspect of context. So it, it, the genre impacts our uh, anticipation or our expectations for what we should find in that type of, of resource and how we approach it in that context. I, I think that's correct, yes. For those of us who are out there who may be new to the idea of biblical genre or they want a refresher, just walk us through some of the basics of how that impacts how we study the Bible. Okay, uh, of course, we're giving just a, a broad introduction here. Um, and when we, when we get to the end of this, we'll point you to, to some resources where you can read further and, and, and you know, more detailed. So this is just broad strokes here, but in the Bible, um, you know, there are 66 books and each of those books could be categorized according to a genre. So you've got law. You know, like in, in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, there's law. That's a genre. You've got historical narrative in um, you know, Genesis and Exodus and then Joshua all the way through Esther and Acts in the New Testament. You've got poetry. You've got wisdom literature, Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes. Some would add Song of Solomon to that. You've got prophecy. You've got letters. You've got apocalyptic literature. Um, there are some biblical books 
that would have more than one kind of genre within it, within them. Like Exodus, for example, you, you have law, that's a genre, but there's also narrative, that's a genre. There are also some songs in there, like, uh, and that's another genre, like poetry with it. So within one book, you'll have maybe different types of genre. Like in the gospels, you've got narrative about Jesus. Then you've got the teachings of Jesus, which include parables, which is a genre in itself. Genealogies is a genre within itself. So we classify each book according to a particular genre, but within, within many of the, of the books of the Bible, there's actually more than, than one. Um, so let's talk about a couple, right? Um, you just pick a couple and talk about maybe some characteristics and contrast and compare. You've got um, historical narrative, right? Stories. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the most common in the Bible. 60% over half of the Bible is just narrative. So if we're going to read the Bible well, we, we need to read and understand the stories of the Bible well. And if you read the Old Testament much, you know that some of the stories in the Old Testament especially are rather kind of difficult to understand, uh, hard to understand. Um, now, let me, let me point out, though, that there are people who would prefer the word narrative to story. And I realize I'm using the word story. Uh, some people would rather use the word narrative because the word story can carry the meaning of something that's fictional, mm -hmm. um, which is not how I'm using the word story. So if I use the word story, uh, I don't mean it's a made up story or it's a fictional story. I'm using it as a, syn a synonym for a narrative, a historical narrative. Yeah, telling the story of what happened in that person's yeah. life. So a narrative, that's what a narrative does. It tells us the things that happened. And every story or narrative that, you know, it has a plot, it has characters. But the stories of the Bible, the narrative of the Bible is not just stories or narrative about interesting or heroic characters or events. They're all part of a bigger story of how God chose a people for himself, how he established a covenant with them to be a light to all the nations. They're, they're all the stories of the Bible are part of this bigger story. So when we read the Old Testament stories, like about Joseph or Moses or David and Goliath, we, we, we have to remember their part, that, that, that those characters are not the main point of the story, right? Like the stories of Joseph, Genesis 37 to 50, that's a big chunk of Genesis. It just, it's all about Joseph, right? Joseph is the central human character and he dominates the narrative there. Now, he was favored by his father, Jacob, and sold into slavery by his brothers and became a servant in Potiphar's house and rose to influence in Egypt and, and all these different things. How are we supposed to read and understand the stories of Joseph and why are they included? The answer is in the narrative itself. So you have to follow the storyline to really see the point of the stories. And so you, you find these verses, like in Genesis 39, that say, the Lord, was, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man serving in the household of his Egyptian master. And then it says, the Lord was with Joseph, and he granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And then later on, a few couple of verses later, the Lord made everything Joseph did successful. So uh, it's repeated numerous times. And even in the end, Joseph realized that his brothers selling him into slavery was used by God. It was the hand of God. He says, you planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result of the survival of many people. So the point of the narrative is what God did, 
and what God was doing and how that relates to the bigger story of redemption. So these Old Testament narratives are historical. They tell the story of Israel's salvation history, but they're not just there to teach history. They're not there to teach us moral lessons. They tell us who God is. That's the bigger story. So when we read the stories, the narrative of the Old and New Testament, the question to ask is, what's the purpose of this story? Why is it here? And what does it teach us about God? That's how we approach. Can it do both? Can it teach both uh, ethics and it can. Uh, who God is? It can. Yeah, it can. Um, so, the, you know, even the questions we ask of the narratives may be different than the questions we ask of other genres, like wisdom literature, for example. While the Old Testament narrative narratives are historical, rooted in the history of God's covenant relationship with his people, wisdom literature is ahistorical. It's, it's not connected with history, really. Um, and when we talk about wisdom literature, we're talking about Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, primarily. Some would include Song of Solomon in that, and there's even some of the Psalms that are wisdom psalms but this thing that you know job for example there's not very many at all historical references in the book of job you know maybe the we, we don't even know really when job was written no no we don't um in chapter one it says he lived in the country of us and it talks about the sabaeans and chaldeans um, but beyond that there's not much uh, so we're really not asking the same questions here that we ask of historical narrative you know, like, like what was happening in the world and who was who was the king of what nation and who were the characters involved? We're really not asking those kinds of questions when we read wisdom literature. And you're, you're right. Most scholars say Job probably lived in the, in the time of the patriarchs. It may be the oldest book in the Bible. But where the story of Job falls on the timeline of Old Testament history really doesn't matter very much. Un unlike the book of, say, Judges or Ezra, or Nehemiah, Esther, you know, that the, the historical setting of those books is very significant. And it's hard to understand with, without knowing the historical setting. Or the, you know, prophets like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, the, the historical setting is very significant. We have to understand the exile and, and all of that. Or Paul's letters written to address very specific problems in specific churches. And you have to think contextually there when you read Paul's letter. Got two, like for example, first and second Corinthians. Mm -hmm. Those are those are not just written to the to the same congregation or same group, but they're written at two different times. Yeah. You have to think about the two different times involved in that too. Yeah. So you're really, you, you're approaching it differently. You're asking different questions. because So wisdom literature is not really concerned with those questions. It deals instead with, with timeless realities of uh, affecting the human condition and how do we make sense of life and the meaning of life and suffering and how do we live well. Uh, like historical narrative though, the point is really, you know, it's it, the, the point is what, what does this teach us about God? So, I mean, in that sense, you know, it's the same. We're looking at the same thing in that sense. What does this teach us about God? But um, we're asking, we're just looking at it differently and asking some different questions because of the type of genre it, it is. 
would it be safe for us to say that no matter what we're studying, the question we need to be asking is this, what does it teach us about God? What does it teach us about ourselves? And what does it teach us about our need for the God we just examined and we learned something about? Yeah. That, is that overarching for no matter what kind of genre we're looking at? No matter what genre, yes. I think that's the starting place is what does okay. this teach us about God? I think that's always the starting place, whether you're reading a historical narrative or you're reading a, a psalm, a poem. I think that's the starting place. Now, are there any key characteristics that we need to know about about each one of the specific types of Bible genre you've mentioned? Well, yeah, we talked about those those two. Um, it, it'd be hard to cover. We got all. limited time. <laughs> where do, where that do you start? That may be a future. Because, that may be a future podcast on each one of those or something. It, it probably needs to be because I mean yeah. you're thinking, okay, apocalyptic literature. Okay, let's cover that in sixty seconds. I, I feel uh, like that might not do it justice. Well, I think that kind of tells us a little bit about what we're going to do in the future. At least <laughs> it, our audience, we're going to that's, that's where we're that's where we're headed. That's where we're going next. Yeah, we mentioned those different types. How are those different types helpful in interpreting the Bible? Why? Well, let me ask you. Why is knowing the different types in, important to us? Yeah, um, because you know, um, if you ignore the the type of literature, it, it is. The book is or the passage is the, the problem you run into is the problem of misinterpreting it or misapplying it misinterpretation or wrong application uh, can result when we ignore the context of genre it's like can you give a couple of examples yeah yeah that might be? sure sure um a couple um that i've seen here is one confusing what is descriptive with what is prescriptive. Let me explain what I mean. Historical narrative, the stories of the Bible are descriptive. Narrative records what happened. It's describing what happened. It doesn't describe what should have happened. It doesn't describe what ought to happen every time that situation occurs. It just describes what happened. It's, it's descriptive. Other parts of the Bible, other genres, are prescriptive, right? In other words, they prescribe certain behaviors. Okay, here's what we are to do. Here's what we are not to do. Ten Commandments, you know, an obvious example, or even the teachings of Jesus, or in the letters of Paul, I mean, or in the prophets, there, there are many passages, many places that are clearly prescriptive, they're prescribing behaviors to do or to avoid. Just because something is described in a passage doesn't mean it's prescribed, because there are a lot of things people do in the Bible that we should not do, honestly. See, the, the, the writer of the narrative, the historical narrative, doesn't necessarily tell us if something a person did was good or not good, or something we should do or not do. The writer of the narrative is not telling us that. He's just describing what happened. So here's an example, here's an example of that in Judges, the book of Judges, 1130. Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. He said this to the Lord, if you hand over the Ammonites to me, 
Whoever comes out of the doors of my house to greet me when I return safely from the Ammonites will belong to the Lord, and I will offer that person as a burnt offering. Extreme, I know that's an extreme example, but that's it makes the point here that seldom, seldom do the writers of the narrative say, okay, here's the point I'm trying to make with this. The writer of the book of Judges doesn't say, it doesn't record that and say, okay, now here's the point I'm trying to make with that. We know that, that that's not prescriptive for us. We know that. So what is the point the writer's trying to make? You know, there, there are clues in the larger context reveals those clues. The book of Judges, there's a theme that gets repeated over and over. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what's, what seemed right to him or did what was right in his own eyes. That's the theme. So there's the key to how we read and understand the book of Judges. It's describing the downward spiral of sin in, in Israel's history in the days following the death of Joshua. So you really have to read the whole story. You read the storyline to understand why the story is there. So back to my point, the example is just because the, the, the passage is describing something, it doesn't mean it's prescribing us, us to do that same thing. Uh, in every situation or at all, all right? So that's, that's one. Um, here's an, another, it would be reading the Proverbs as absolute promises. If this uh, happens, then this happens. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. we have to be careful here because, you know, and, and Proverbs, and there's different types of Proverbs, um, but Proverbs are not to be understood as absolute promises from God that always guarantee, 100% of the time, guarantee a particular outcome if you follow whatever it's saying, right? A proverb expresses a general truth. They point out the behaviors that if you follow these behaviors, you have the best chance of success or, or, or they give us um, they, they show us how to make wise choices. The Proverbs teach us how to make wise choices in life. It's not, it's not a 100% guarantee of a certain outcome. So an example of that would be Proverbs 22.6. It says to train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. I think we've all seen exceptions to that. Um, <clears throat> the fact that godly parents... <clears throat> who train their children in the way they should go, at times have children who are ungodly and make ungodly choices. It doesn't refute the proverb. It doesn't mean the proverb is wrong. It is truth. It is truth that children more often than not do follow in the footsteps of the, of the parents. That is true. And the best chance for bringing up children who love God and serve God, the best chance of bringing up children like that is to follow the wisdom that you find in the book of Proverbs. That's your best chance. Follow the wisdom that, that Proverbs is teaching there about how to bring up your, your children. There's another, you know, there are other examples in Proverbs to make the point. Like Proverbs 10, 27 says, the fear of the Lord prolongs life but the years of the wicked are cut short. Again, that's not a guarantee that, that if you're godly, you're gonna live longer than a person who's not godly or that wicked people always live short lives and godly people live long lives. That's not, what it, that's not a guarantee, but as a general rule, 
as a rule, sinful choices will rob people of health and vitality and shorten life. That is, that is true. That is a general that's truth. Um, <clears throat> Book of Job, <clears throat> we're reminded how Job's friends um, actually misused Proverbs in the advice they gave to Job. You know what God's, God himself said of Job, no, there's no one else on the earth like him. He's a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. That's God's assessment of Job, perfect integrity. But how did his friends assess Job's, all Job's problems? They, they said that Job brought this suffering on himself, that he must have done something really bad for this to happen, and he need, needed to repent. And in making their point, they cite some well-known proverbs to Job. Now, <clears throat> their proverbs predate the book of Proverbs. So I'm not saying they, they're quoting the book of Proverbs. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. But they're citing some well-known Proverbs. And you'll find the same theology in the book of Proverbs. So, so in Job 4, 7 and 8, Eliphaz says to Job, consider who has perished when he was innocent. That was a, a well-known proverb, more than likely. Who has perished when he was innocent? Where have the honest been destroyed? Those who plowed just injustice and those who sow trouble reap the same. Like I said, they're not, he's not quoting the book of Proverbs, but listen to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 12, 21. No harm befalls the righteous, but the wicked will have their fill of trouble. Psalm 13, 21, misfortune pursues the sinner, but prosperity is the reward of the righteous. Proverbs 22, 8, the one who sows injustice will reap disaster. Yeah. So as a general rule, yeah, those Proverbs are true. I'm not saying they're not true. I, I'm saying, how are we supposed to understand them as a, as a 100% guarantee? No, the, the mistake that Job's friends made was that their theology didn't allow for exceptions to those rules, to those, to those truths that you find in the Proverbs. And they, so they, they were assuming that the Proverbs were absolute laws with no exceptions. And as a result, they believed that Job was experiencing all this stuff because he did something really bad. But in the case of Job, the, the Proverbs didn't fit. He was the exception. Job was the exception to Proverbs 12, 21 that says no harm befalls the righteous. He was the exception. There are other exceptions. Jesus was the ultimate exception. And in the end of Job, a book of Job, God refuted what his friends said about the reason for Job's suffering. So what I'm saying is that Proverbs are not absolute guarantees but they are general rules that we can trust to guide us in making the best, the wisest choices in life. And problems of interpretation arise when we fail to understand the nature and purpose of the Proverbs or the nature of any genre you're looking at, then we, we can fall into these problems of wrong interpretation or misapplication. We see it with uh, with some of Jesus's parables too, where someone, and the temptation for us too is to take every piece and part of that parable and make it mean something that Jesus didn't say it meant. Yeah, uh, and we try to make it mean more than it than it should mean. 
Yeah. In our next episode, let's let's pick one of the genres, Mike, and we'll just start we'll start working through the genres. Mm -hmm. We'll give some specifics on how to handle those genres. Yeah, uh, before we go, though, let's let's think about this. Let's think about some recommended resources. We really haven't talked a lot about this so far in the podcast. Some recommended resources that someone may uh, may consult when thinking about how to rightfully understand Bible genres. Okay, I realize that we're probably raising more questions than we're answering here you know, in, in what we've done today. So yeah, I, I do want to point you to some resources where you can do some reading and study on your own. Um, of course, there's always, you know, a Bible dictionary is always a, a place you can turn to as something that many people already have. But in a Bible dictionary, <clears throat> I've got here the Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary, and I've looked and there are, there are entries on these different genre types. There's an entry on wisdom literature. And there's an entry on prophecy and, and, the, and the best way to, to understand and approach biblical prophecy. And there's, so there are entries in all these different genres that are very helpful in, in a Bible dictionary. But there's a couple of books I would recommend. You might have some others, but a couple of books. One, the first one I recommend is called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. It's written by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. That's, uh, that, that book's been around for quite a while. I think the first edition came out in 1981, if I'm not mistaken, and it's gone through several uh, editions and revisions. It might be in maybe the fourth edition now. I don't know. But that's, it's a very, very helpful book that um, goes into great depth in about all these different genres. Um, is, it is available at lifeway.com or Amazon, or I'm sure other places as well. Uh, another book that's good is um, Read the Bible for Life. Yeah, Read the Bible for Life by George Guthrie. Uh, it's um, published by Lifeway. Uh, it's also a very helpful book, and he talks about the different genres of the Bible. Yeah, a couple I might add to the list are Robert Plummer's book, 40 Questions About Interpreting the Bible. Uh, that's a that's a that's a good read for us to just kind of get a handle on some yeah, of that. And I think one of his questions he deals with is um, what is genre and why does it matter? I think is yeah, one of the yeah. questions. Yeah. Uh, uh, Verkler, Henry Verkler has a book too, uh, called Hermeneutics, Principles and Processes of Biblical Interpretation. It's been around for a while. Uh, you mentioned um, uh, Fee and Stewart. I would echo that. And there's also uh, one by uh, Fur and Kostenberger, entitled Inductive Bible Study, Observation, Interpretation, and Application Through the Lens of History, Literature, and Theology, which that idea of the lens of history, the, uh, literature, and theology is important because that deals with the question of Bible genre. Uh, but that book's relatively new. Uh, it's probably five years old now, uh, but Fur and Kostenberger's book on inductive Bible study, I would recommend as well. Uh, any other books, that, other books you would add to that list while we're thinking about it? Well, cool. um, no, I mean, I, nothing's I'm coming up blank right now. I think okay. all of those, I think all of those are very good places you could turn to, to find out more about this. Uh, I thank you all for joining us today. Just want to remind you that this podcast is sponsored by Lifeways Explore the Bible Resources. 
You can find out more about Explore the Bible by visiting goexplorethebible.com. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at dwayne.mccreary at lifeway.com. That's D-W-A-Y-N-E dot M-C-C-R-A-R-Y at lifeway.com or at Mike Livingston at lifeway.com. That's M-I-K-E dot L-I-V-I-N-G-S-T-O-N-E at lifeway.com. We'll do our best to answer your questions. If we don't know the answer, we'll find somebody who does. Once again, we thank you for listening today. And as we just shared in our next episode, we're going to be looking at more of the Bible genres. We're looking at one in particular. We'll pick one, and then we will think through how uh, we would walk through studying that particular Bible genre. Mike, anything else you would share with our group today before we go? No, I, I hope that we're not making Bible study complicated. It's not. Um, God gives us his Holy Spirit who leads us, who teaches us. Um, but he also expects us to put some, you know, effort and, and work into understanding scripture. And, that, and that's really what we're talking about. What can we do to be better students of the Bible? And it's not, it's not complicated. What we're talking about is really not complicated. And I, I don't want it to come across that way. Thank you for that reminder. I would re remind our listeners to be sure to follow this podcast. That way you'll make sure you won't miss a single episode in the future. Thank you.